I just started, yeah, so it'll be easier for you to line up if your starts right now, too. Yep, okay. All right. Welcome to this week's episode of the Electronic Gentleman Podcast. And I guess I shouldn't say this week's episode if we're not doing it every week. But um, our intention is to do it every week. But we just had some things that kind of got in the way and prevented us from doing a show for a good period of time. Suffice it to say, every every week we think about it, and we think about it really hard, and sometimes we even talk about it. Oh yeah, well we do that, and then after a while we start feeling guilty about it, and and then every time I see the podcast app on my phone, I'm just like, ah. But you know, uh, so now we're back, and we can talk. I think one of the topics that we're going to bring up today. We'll go into a little bit about what our delay was and why it's been so long since we've done a show. Not that we're making excuses, um, but we're going to try to get back in the swing of things here. And we do have some great guests coming up who I had to put off because of being out of town for so long. I need to start breathing while I'm actually talking. (laughs) I should be a rapper like Eminem. I'd be like just saying the first little bit and then it'd be like, I just have to take a big break. Yeah. I would not win rap battles, I don't think, because of the cardio aspects. It could be your shtick. It could be it'd be like Biz Marquis, terrible singer. You're a, you're a guy who can't get more than a couple of sentences out without taking a break. Yeah, well, and you know that that could be my shtick, but it's also reality. So uh, I'm gonna. <laughs> it's sad. I probably should go run after this. Okay, so the topic of this week's episode is what um, what I'm calling the challenge of balance. I don't know if that's what's going to end up being the title, but as we are consultants and as we work in the environment that we do, so much of what we do is a balancing act. And I think that's fairly typical of most businesses um, and most roles that are played in any company. But I thought we would mention a few of the ones that are specific to us and maybe talk through those. Uh, One that just is sticking with me right now is the fact that we had a trial that was supposed to last for three weeks and ended up lasting almost three months. And you can imagine with that kind of discrepancy in the plan versus reality, um, how many plans had to change and how many schedules had to shift and how much had to happen in order to accommodate that. And I'm sure you've run into that as well. Oh, I mean, I ran into it on that trial with you. If you remember way back in the first month, um, I had to leave to go have a doctor reach up inside me and rip a gallbladder out. <laughs> so that was uh, that wasn't planned. Uh, you know, changing out who who did my job on site uh, wasn't planned. Uh, but you make you make the you make things work, and uh, communi- uh, communication was a big part of that. Uh, letting our clients all know that um, you know what the reasons were without belaboring it and taking too long talking about it because it's gross and no one wants to hear it. Uh, but letting everyone know they're going to be okay. And that who, you know, the person that's taking over is someone they know and uh, everything is as seamless as possible. Now, I don't know if they told you this, but when you say that they reached in and took out a gallbladder, you do realize that was your only one. Oh my God. <laughs> this isn't Sorry. like, I mean, I, 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 I it, 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 my wife took my only Grey's Anatomy to the garage sale earlier this year. Uh. <laughs> yeah, it's not a kidney or mm. a, a lung or anything like that. So, 
Uh, but I, there think was, it, it, I gotta tell you, of, of the probably 50 gallbladders they took out that day, that was just one of them. So it was a gallbladder to the doctor. It yeah. Was mind, it was mine to me, and I hated it, and I'm, I don't miss it. God, they're so callous. You're just another gallbladder to them. <laughs> yeah. I'm a number. I'm a handful of stones. Yeah, well, that uh, yeah, that's a, that's a really good example. Uh, you were, and it's been so long that I actually forgot um, that you were on that trial. No, that's not really true, but that's a very good example. Um, and I actually had a um, a family um, emergency that I had to come home for. Unfortunately, we've got clients that are understanding. I mean, and to some extent, you know, they they kind of have to be to some of the things that we're dealing with. But you know, our job as consultants are to keep our clients happy. So it can really be a balancing act to, to figure out um, what do we do in order to make sure that they're happy, but also to take care of, in your case, um, you know, yourself um, and make sure that, you know, you, you strike that balance. It really is challenging and it, it really translates to lots of different things that we do a, as consultants. Um, one that I've always struggled with, and I think, um, it's a challenge for anybody in a creative business is we are consultants, but we're also uh, a production team. We are brought in to give advice, but then there are times where we are just need to do what we're asked to do. And how do you, how do you strike that balance? Um, if I, in my opinion, if, if we come in and all we do is exactly what our clients ask us to do, we're underserving them because they may not even know the right questions to ask. And that's our expertise. How do you, how do you deal with that? I listen to what they want. Um, and in my case, uh, you know, you can apply this to whatever you want to, but you know, in, in my case and the folks at my job, it's, uh, they want this document and that document to be on screen. But a lot of times they don't know to even ask how to do that. So basically I, I get the, I get the gist. I say, how would you like, what's your style? How would you like um, your presentation to go? Um, they'll ex- they'll explain it, uh, and then going from there, they've either properly told me how they want to do it, or they need a little bit of advice on how to do it, or they need a lot of advice on how to do it. But uh, frankly, I end up in the position a lot to where they have to see it work wrong uh, the first time if they push back enough. Because uh, I don't know how many other people get into positions like this, but. When we're working with lawyers who are have opening statements coming up and stuff like that, it's really imp- important to them that their presentation looks good and comes off right, but they don't want to talk about technical details of it. And that's that's those are the conversations I have to get in. So that's a that's a major balance to make is to get somebody to to say like, "Hey, you see this clicker? I need you to practice with a clicker. That seems real stupid, but if this goes in your hand for the first time when you walk up there and it doesn't work right for you, you've just thrown a $500,000 presentation out the window of the way, you know, of how it was supposed to work, like how much time and money went into preparing this thing. And what I should back up. They don't all cost that much money. I was making a very extreme that was, that was an extraordinarily extreme example. I don't think any opening statements ever cost that much, but a lot of time and money has gone into it. They've thought about it a lot. And then all of a sudden that five minutes, they didn't have to test for that clicker because they just didn't have time, just ruined it in front of the judge and jury. So that's the job. That's the job of somebody in a technical position dealing with someone who's very busy. That's hired them to admit, to help with one aspect of this big thing they have to do. Well, and you think about it, you say that, yes, the presentation may not cost $500,000, but 
But if it doesn't go up on the screen, there's a good chance that whatever is at stake in that case is is um, is in danger. So maybe it's a five hundred thousand dollar case. Um, either oh, way, oh yeah, no, I mean you can you can look at it, yeah, however you want to. Like I, I was looking like just strictly at this. You know, they've paid by the hour to put this together. Now there's the attorney hours that went into it too. So yeah, go ahead and call it that much money. It's a lot of you could waste a lot of money by not listening to someone that you've hired to do to do one little aspect of uh you know of what seems like a small aspect of of what you're hiring them to do. Yeah, I mean uh, I think that um one of the things that we have to deal with is the fact that uh we're dealing with clients that have a very broad spectrum of technical knowledge and also just experience using services like ours. So the balancing act here is knowing where to push, where to back off, where to interrupt them when they're in the middle of prepping for uh, their closing or when to, again, take time away um, and let them focus on what they need to do. And in that, you know, that's where a lot of the balance comes in from the graphic standpoint they might come in and say, I have a perfect vision for this. I think we need to do a slide with clowns rolling around on beach balls. <laughs> and I think that's really going to metaphorically convey what we need to. Now, my job is to say, you know what, in our experience, you know, the jury's going to look at something like that and not take it seriously or think we're trying to be flippant about a very serious topic. You know, be able to go in and push on that without saying that's a horribly stupid idea. Um, and again, the, the, the balance of consulting versus production. I've also seen, I've seen both extremes of that. I've seen a situation where you come in and you do exactly what you're told. And then when the presentation doesn't go off real well, everyone's looking at you go, why did you make these goofy looking slides? And on the other hand, I've seen people go in and over consult to the point that they almost make the client feel dumb for even coming up with these ideas. And um, that, you know, that's the balancing act that us on the graphic side are dealing with. Well, listen, I'll tell you, as someone who goes into court, the next time someone suggests clowns rolling around on beach balls, you keep your mouth shut and do it because I want to see it. And I think the juries want to see it. <laughs> well, I, you know what? I, I, there is a part of me that does say, think that if you put some clowns with beach balls in there, um, if there were any jurors that were sleeping or starting to fade, you know, that might be what it takes to get them reengaged. So, you know, I did, yeah. I, I, I've had stuff like that before, like serious. I had uh, it was a case just about I mean, the client was a billionaire and uh, he had been screwed over by these in, uh, investment guys somehow. But that's that's who was in the lawsuit. Investment professionals and a billionaire is the plaintiff. Um, and this was a long time ago. It was, you know, somewhere between 15, 20 years ago. Um, but the when the lead attorney was. Uh, prepping with it for his his opening and he was describing how bad the fraud was he said like truly he was raped and I, mm-hmm. I was like and i you said like please don't don't you don't do that and and he looked at me and he's like oh you, you think i was like I, that's a horrible idea mm-hmm. um and i don't you know, i don't i don't usually do that but he's like yeah okay it made him step back cuz that's all he'd been thinking about was that case so like right. these extreme extreme metaphor you know, made sense. He's like, I want to really drive this home. But like, yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, that's, I mean, listening to it now, it's, it's, it's bad. It's really, it's really bad. And, and, you know, people threw words around more then, which was the late nineties and they do now. Yeah. Uh, but it, you know, you, you, you still like that sort of thing. It's, it's good 
it's good to let, you know, <laughs> focus group for lack of a better word on occasion, uh, when you've, when you've been really in a bubble preparing for a long time. Yeah. And they really do get in the bubble because, and a lot of times we are their focus group. Um, sometimes they have professional focus groups, but uh, very often you'll find that, um, they're looking for outside opinions because if they're self-aware and most of the, the ones we work with are, they, they know that they're kind of, um, looking at it, um, they're looking at the trees instead of the forest, uh, using a, a metaphor. Maybe we could do a slide with trees in a forest. Mm. That. <laughs> mm. That's a good one. <laughs> uh, yeah. So just no, scales. Oh, just <laughs> scales. Yeah. Well, uh, so don't get me started on that. That's, that's a whole other topic about should we do graphics of metaphors? Because what's the purpose of a metaphor? It's because people already know what it is and have an image in their head. And maybe we should let them keep that image in their head. But anyway, that's up for debate. And you know what? I go back and forth on that one. So, um, hey, it's, hey, and the justice scales truly is a balance. You know, if we were to do a graphic representing this particular podcast episode, we could do a scale like that. And, the, and we yeah. call it the challenge of balance and use. Well, I should say that. Oh, that's right. Well, you know, that actually makes, I mean, it, it does make sense if you're trying to say it just needs to tip it a little bit. So mm -hmm. that visual is actually good. Um, yeah. That actually, that actually makes sense. I'm not, I'm not, uh, for anyone that's listening to this in our industry, I'm not actually bad mouthing that visual metaphor because it makes sense most of the time. It's just used a lot. It is used um, a lot. But the, the thing is, it's not used in front of the same, it's used in front of me over and over again. It's not used in front of the jury over and over. So have yeah. at it. Use, use your metaphor. <laughs> Yeah, and we have to take that into account, too. Something that may seem um, overplayed or overdone in our eyes um, might be because we see a lot more trials. And, um, you know, some of those universal themes carry over sometimes. And your jury is seeing it for the first time and honestly may be seeing um, legal graphics for the first time ever anyway. So, you know, it might have a huge impact. And again, right. so being self-aware about that is another another part of that balance. Um and we talked a little bit about this in a previous episode, but just since we're talking about balance, the whole casual communications versus professional communications, you know, having that instinct to know that, hey, I was just joking with you a few minutes ago and maybe even making fun of you for some something funny you did at dinner. But now I see that the stakes have changed and you just got some bad news about the case. And it's not necessarily appropriate for me to pop in here and uh, have some sarcastic comment, uh, knowing when to be casual versus professional, knowing that um, the people that you're dealing with are under a lot of pressure and have deadlines and may not be up for a joke uh, 24 hours a day. Uh, you know, the way I, on, just on that, the thing that I just thought of that I always think of, um, wherever I heard it the first time, I don't remember, but it's just act the way everyone else is acting. Um, just sort of yeah. pick up on that. And that's something where we, you know, it's, it applies everywhere, but going to court for the first time is really scary. There seems to be a lot of protocol, um, stand up, sit down, stuff like that, but everyone else is doing it. So right. you do, you know, just like, you know, if you're going to a wedding or a funeral or anything like that for the first time, and it's, that's ingrained, you know, it's not something you have to hear, you know, it's not like you're going to, you know, drink a bottle of mustard while you're, you know. At a, at, a, at a funeral and you don't know any better. I mean, you do, people automatically do what other people do, but there's times where, you know, if you're nervous, just realize like, this is all I need to do is just sort of think, think first, don't try to talk, 
you know, without looking around to to read the room a little bit. It's 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 not that hard to do when you need to. Yeah, and it's and that is really important. I actually um, worked with a consultant years ago who was very good at what they did. Um, they were an excellent designer, um, and but what would inadvertently happen is they were not very good at reading a room. Um, and sometimes it was maybe somebody they felt um, they were being overly casual with that they had a casual moment with previously, or maybe it was just misjudging the level of the, of the person they were talking to, whether they should be casual with them at all. And honestly, that can be a deal breaker. That can be so much worse than any technical failures or anything like that is not being aware of the room that you're in and knowing how to interact with, with people. And, you know, kind of a universal theme that I think I see periodically as a challenge is when we are consulting with anything that we're doing, there is a trade-off between getting a request from a client and turning it around to them as quickly as humanly possible. Um, There is a balance there as well because you're, you're showing two things when you return your work product. You're showing this was extremely easy for me and that may or may not be a good thing. Um, And if it was too easy for me, then it may have been just as easy for you to do, particularly if it doesn't look that great. So there is a premium put on turnaround time in so many areas of our lives. But with consulting, sometimes you really do need to put a little bit of extra time in something. And you're not necessarily getting rewarded for how fast you get something done. You're getting rewarded for it being done in a reasonable amount of time with reasonable amount of value added. The flip side to that is, and this is common for people getting into this business that have a graphics background, you know, if they were in a different industry, they might have a week to turn something around, whereas we need something turned around in a day. And that can be overwhelming. And to the point that you almost just throw your hands up and go, well, I don't have time to consult on this. I'm just going to do exactly what they ask and make it look pretty much just like a cleaned up version of what they asked for. And sometimes that's appropriate and sometimes it's not. Again, it's about reading the situation, but also making sure that the stuff that you're doing is perceived as valuable to them. I think that doing it too fast is a good point that I haven't really thought about much uh, because I, I don't find myself in the position where uh, I have to be super creative often. I, I get, I'm in that position where I have software and tools and the knowledge of how to do certain things that, that, that the people who are asking me to do it can't do no matter how long they take um, with, unless they get some training on it first. So the turnaround's right, but you definitely don't want to send them the right, the wrong thing quickly. Um, and and there's there's a certain amount of time where getting it any faster is not going to make it better. It's like and and what what I was thinking of while you were saying that would be like getting a haircut, uh, you know, or or you you know even a mm-hmm. you know complex hairdo of some sort. Um, that that doing it faster and a little crappier definitely is not better than than, take, than taking your time and doing it right. Right, and it it is it's weird too because you know if you do it really fast and it's done right, then it is seen as like the remarkable achievement. The best thing you could do is turn around so quickly. But and I'm not suggesting that you delay intentionally, but I do suggest that you your if you're in a traditional consultant role, 
you are being paid for the value you add and for your knowledge and experience, not necessarily the time that you spend. Um, that kind of yeah, it seems odd when you're billing hourly, but sometimes that's why the hourly rate fluctuates um, because there's an, a whole level of experience and knowledge. And I've seen this before. I can do a good job with this sort of that comes into play there. And I think people forget that. Um, it is great to get things done quickly, which can be cost effective to the client. But what they care most about is that you are a fair price with a great amount of value added. And they don't have to double check everything you do and come back to you and tell you what was wrong. Yeah, we, we deal with a lot of um, we deal with a lot of questions about how we budget things and can you get us an extremely specific estimate and um, that that becomes really challenging for us. And I think people understand that. Unfortunately, um, people are tasked with finding out that information and reporting back to the people they report to. And so us telling them that that's really hard to do doesn't really make their jobs any easier. But it is something that we we do have to disclaim. I think I think that has to be that that has to be said because it's absolutely and, I, and I've tried to make metaphors for it and I'll try to I'll try to do it again. Um, I don't I, can't, I don't believe we've talked about this on another show, but if we have, I'm going to repeat it. Um, like say I got a general contractor, you know, I call a general contractor and I said, hey, I need some, I want to do some remodeling in my house. Can you tell me how much that costs? And they're like, wow, what, what is it you want? I'm like, well, I mean, it's, you know, just basic stuff based on what you've done. I don't really know yet. Um, not sure what rooms we're going to do, um, but just how much will it cost um, with the you know, everything all together? Um, okay. Can you give me anything like, yeah, okay. I want to redo the kitchen. Uh, I'm going to do the countertops and, and the cabinets like, okay, well, here's basically what that is for the square footage that you've told me as well. Um, here's a range of what that might be depending on what you pick out. And then when they show up, it's not just me here, but my entire family's here. My wife and both my kids are here. And, and I say, look, you've got to do everything they say. Um, they view you as working for them as well. And the contractor's like, okay, my wife makes, wants them to redo the bath, the, the master bathroom. Um, and then my kids want them to put in a, new ceilings in their rooms for God knows why. I don't, don't even ask. And, and then also in the dining room, I, I need, they need some painting and chair rails. Okay. Now, um, why did you, why did, now I'm mad at them when it's over because they budgeted wrong in the yeah. beginning. That's that, you know, that's my metaphor. You can, you can throw other people on your team at people at, at the contractors, us, you know, these contractors I'm talking about any, anyone who does this service type type consulting work. If you're in a, if, if you're in a position where people can be thrown at you that you can't say no to, um, especially if it's a, you know, you're in an emergency situation, like we get in a lot because, you know, court's going on. Um, you, ha you, it's the, it's the customer that has complete control over how much it costs. They have 100% control, especially when you're all there together. Because there could be one person who says, I need you to sit up all night with me. Well, and all of a sudden, you're, you know, I normally work 10 hours a day, just became 24 hours because one person insisted you did. It was not, it was not the fault of the person who did the estimate. It was the, it was the fault of the person who, who uh, in the beginning said they wanted it cheap and then changed their mind. That's yeah, more that, of a rant, rant than a metaphor. There. Well, that, that analogy really is perfect, though. And I mean, and to add to that, imagine that one of the kids 
told you that they want their room this way and they 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 want to try it like that and then you know the somebody else the um uh, the parent comes up and said well well i don't like that at all um, yeah. so you're going to have to you're going to have to redo all that i mean there's just I mean, it really is a, a super a super good analogy. You go into the kitchen. Well, I, I want these kitchen cabinets for this amount of space. Well, what kind of kitchen cabinets do you want? I mean, you put these in, it's going to take twice as long to do it, but it's all going to really come down to the working style, the ideas and um, that that come from the person that are giving you the requests. And we have, it, it, it can be a challenge. Uh, the way that our business typically works is that we are hired by an end client. Um, they're the ones paying the bills, but then the attorneys are usually the ones giving us instructions. And so that relationship between us, the client and the attorneys, that's a balancing act as well. I mean, the, the, the attorneys might say, I need you to do exactly what I'm telling you. Whereas, you know, in the back of your mind, that client has a budget in mind. And does that mean that you, how, how do you, approach that situation do you go to that attorney and say we need to talk to the client to get approval or i mean fortunately we we work on a lot of cases now where that stuff has been ironed out and we're really not dealing with that um all the time but i've been in some situations in the past where that can get pretty uh pretty dicey yeah i mean i've seen it come back i mean we're we're lucky that we don't we don't work with people that do that quite often um you know my rant's more about the wanting the budget and i know that they understand that as well um, but they have, you know, they have to go out and get estimates. Um, and it's, you know, it just goes back to like, hey, how much this cost is really up to you. You know, you're yeah. the one that's going to ask for things once we're once we're working together. Um, that's why we work by the hour, you know, and, and, and we don't we don't like to give people like, all right, well, here's the flat fee it's going to cost, because then that puts us in a position of either getting completely screwed or telling them we're going to stop in the middle of the job that they need done. Um, and we're just not going to do either one of those. Right. Um, then, you know, that's, and that's why hourly is really the, you know, the most fair with us. Yeah. I mean, one thing that we've found can work, um, is giving a time frame estimate based on how much it's going to cost per week. Um, that's what we call a run rate. And that's, that, that can sometimes be helpful because people know, well, you've got X amount of people and there's a good chance they're going to be working X amount of hours, particularly if they're on site. And so they can start getting a good sense of budget, but we have to just disclaim over and over when we're doing doing budgets about the how many variables there are. And I right. mean, the best the best that we can do is just tell tell them that we're going to have open dialogue about it and communicate frequently about the budget. Yeah, and in reality, it usually is pretty close to what we say because you know we've we've done it long enough to where we know what the averages are. Um, yeah. But if you give if you give somebody what an average is and they bring in some outlier people. Uh, who are just, you know, gung-ho about staying up with you. And sometimes that's necessary because it's the way the trial goes. And as long as everyone understands, it's like, yeah, we, had, we, we made this the outlier trial. We, we had special things that we needed done. Then that's all cool. Um, but, you know, that's, again, that balance of like, all right, this is going to take a long time. I need to have, um, oh, you just... You you have forty extra videos that you want to play that we didn't know about when we started. Okay, I need to. I'm going to have uh, six people work for the next twenty four hours remotely on this. Just warning you. Yeah. Uh, and it always works. You know, and that's just you know, the, you know. I'm telling you this. I'm not going to hassle you about it, and I'm definitely not going to make you think it isn't going to be done. 
But, you know, later we all know why, you know, why this came up and it was a surprise. And that kind of stuff is a problem really almost never if you communicate. Yeah. And, and we really run into that mostly with brand new clients. Um, and we and that's why we we sometimes do a, a little explanation about that. I mean, and I've gotten to the point now where I try to price things based less on the end product and more on the work streams that are going to be feeding us information. If I know there's going to be five teams feeding us information um, versus one team feeding us information and the end result presentation might be the exact same number of slides, um, you know one's going to cost a lot more because there's going to be a whole lot of work that doesn't actually get in the presentation being done because you're getting all these different work streams. So that's one way that I've uh, I've been dealing with that, and I, I think that's been working pretty well. Um, so the final thing that, um, I wanted to mention, and this all goes into, um, the balancing act and what the balancing act really translates to is something that we've talked about in the past also, which is just judgment. Use your best judgment. Um, but there is experience that leads to making good judgment. And I think it's important to take the, the different topics that we mentioned um, in this episode and bear in mind that each one of those have nuance to them when you're trying to figure out the, the best decision. One thing that I try to think about any decision that I'm making, I like to look at myself as I'm this asset, um, to this client. I am a vendor to them. You know, what I always like to make sure is that in the entire scheme or in the entire scope of our relationship, what value do I have versus how much hassle am I? And this doesn't just translate to a client vendor relationship. This can be um, whether you, when you're working for a company, um, it can be just pretty much any kind of relationship that you're in. There will be a threshold where you may do really good work, but what's your overhead, if you will? I like to think of it as the 80-20 rule. Now, I know there's the Pareto's principle about the 80-20, which is something completely different about, you know, 80% of your business comes from 20% of your clients. That's not really what I'm talking about. It's more about striking the balance and finding where your value is to make sure that your value, that you're that worth it to the client, that they'll keep bringing you back because you're way more valuable than you are a hassle. And it's amazing how many moments in life come down to that rule for me. It's really interesting. I'd never heard that take on it before, but I think you're now going to make me super self-aware about how much of a hassle I am to, <laughs> to everyone I'm working with. Uh, I'm pretty <laughs> sensitive to that in the first place. And I, very sort, you know, I, I, yeah, I, I try, I try to, I, you know, I try to never get in the way of anybody doing anything and just try to, and if I can't be of, of help, I'll, I'll back off. Um, but that's really a good way to put it. Yeah, you know, and the thing is, I don't think that it's good to be the other extreme, either extreme, really. I mean, to be where you are no hassle at all to the point that you set aside any of your personal needs or um, your needs of your family or just, you know, taking care of yourself, making sure that you're healthy mentally and physically. Um, that's the other extreme. Um, and, you know, even 80-20 may be a little high, but You've got to set boundaries and, and parameters that, you know, because if if you um, if you go to the extreme of always making sure that you're completely valuable with no hassle, 
uh, something's got to give somewhere, in my opinion. So I'm just looking at a situation and go, you know what? Um, I've, uh, I've either complained about this enough or I've brought this up enough or I've raised this enough times that it's going to start becoming more of a hassle for them to deal with me than not. That's when I start getting nervous and I start trying to back off and read the room. Yeah. It, it, one thing that I always think of to keep in mind on the hassle factor that I stopped doing a long time ago is trying to set expectations so much that you're giving a bunch of reasons why you might fail. Um, so if, you know, if someone asks you, um, can you get me these reports uh, by six o'clock? Well, my computer could catch on fire. Um, it could totally crash. Uh, something else could happen. There could be a family emergency. They don't need to hear about all those things that might happen. And they don't need to hear that, that you're going to do your best, but you can't guarantee uh, what it's, you know, what it's going to, uh, you know, that you're going to have it there on time. Mm-hmm. You say, no problem. If you need to come back with reasons that it couldn't happen, do it later. Um, unless, you know, you, if you don't know in the beginning that you're going to miss it and you have to say, I'm going, I'm not going to be able to hit 6 p.m. tonight um, because this is, this is more work than you might think it is, um, but I'll have it to you by 8 if that's not the kind of thing you're saying, just say sure and then work on it. If something comes up that if a meteor flies out of the sky, tell them later. A meteor flew out of the sky. I'm sorry about that. Here, you know, here it is. Yeah, because if you again, you don't want to be the, the guy that's like, uh, well, you know, he gets stuff done, but he's always, uh, you know, he's always putting disclaimers on it uh, just in case. And you know, that's that, that's a hassle. Again, using your judgment to know that. Even if you know that there's going to be a problem with you getting that done, if you think there may be a chance that someone else can help you do it, uh, solve that problem internally. Uh, Don't bring that up. I mean, you know, again, keeping things um, off of their plate is a part of the value of having you there. Um, So, again, it's uh, but but sometimes you have to just be upfront and honest and say this is a problem. Like you said, this isn't reasonable. This is more work than you you think that it is. Uh, so again, balance, balance is everything, right? Balance it out. It was a great Van Halen album. It wasn't that good, but anyway, it was, it was a, I'm sorry. I'll, I'll qualify that. It was a Van Halen album. Was it 80% good? I give it 60 at best, but I'd have to, I'd have to go over, I'd have to go over the track list to really judge it. Um, but the fact that I have to do that makes me want to say that it was maybe 20%. (laughs) Right. Well, all right. Well, so um, we're back in the uh, we're back in the saddle recording podcasts like weekly and and such. Um, that's the plan anyway. Um, next week, um, we may try to get one of now, our now, guests. Now, we might not. We might not get a podcast out weekly if something comes up. So I just want to warn everybody in advance that there's a good there's a possibility that we don't know why we might not be able to do it weekly. But you just have to be ready for that. See, see what a pain in the ass that was. That just really say we're pain. back. Yeah, I mean, we're you added weekly. Yeah, that's that is really obnoxious. I'm, I'm glad we don't. I'm glad you didn't do that. But in for real. Uh, all right, so uh, stay tuned. There's more to come, and we will uh, talk to you next week. Listen to the electronic gentleman.